It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot. High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Bang! And as he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski! Gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. What is going on? Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Got a fun episode for you today. Something we haven't done uh, in the past, at least uh, in my time, doing the Inside Giant Moments podcast. We're going to talk to the team photographer, Andy Kuno. Now, this would be something cool to do uh, probably with any team across baseball, just the unique element of, of having a team photographer, somebody who's involved day-to-day in the game operations, following the team, following the big moments, capturing the moments that we really use as, as history, right? I, I view the team photographer as a, a team historian, kind of like on radio or podcasts, anything you do where you're covering something, you can kind of be a historian for that. But specifically, the team photographer is that keeper of history for those teams. You're in charge of capturing those major moments that define a franchise, define an era, maybe define a player and, and a certain career. Those are the moments that can go down in history. What's great about Andy, Andy has been with the San Francisco Giants from an intern in 1996 at Candlestick Park to the team photographer today in 2022. And it's a family business. His dad uh, was involved in the Giants, took a lot of the team photos years and years ago, and his parents did stuff for the 49ers and the Giants and sports photography across the Bay Area. So a really fun walk down memory lane with Andy Kuno coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk to him about some of his most memorable moments at Oracle Park, even from Candlestick Park, flying over that home plate over to, uh, from Candlestick to Oracle. Uh, at the time, Pac Bell Park, of course, before the Giants opened in 2000. But that coming up in just a little bit. First, got to get into what's going on over the last week and a half or so with your San Francisco Giants. I say your San Francisco Giants. They're my San Francisco Giants, too. Don't worry. I'm not pawning anybody off on anybody else. So uh, our Giants, uh, over the last week and a half, did not have a, a great weekend against the Cincinnati Reds. At one point, they lost five or six games going back to to that road trip with the Braves, which was a really hard-fought series. I'll tell you what my thought was on that series with the Braves. I know the Giants lost the series, and I know a bunch of them were frustrating losses. Uh, they kind of wasted the uh, the Carlos Rodon 10-strikeout performance. That was a brilliant game, and we'll talk a little bit more about Rodon in just a minute. They did have a really fun marathon game that Tuesday night, the back-and-forth 12-10 that we talked about a little bit last week, and then they lost that 7-6 to game, just fell short in that comeback attempt on getaway day on that Thursday before they came on back, and then they dropped 2-3 or to the Reds. A win on Saturday, 9-2. They lost on Sunday, kind of a beatdown 10-3 in the 4-2 loss on Friday night. But they did bounce back on Tuesday. Nice 4-3 win, fending off the Detroit Tigers. These are the teams you want to beat up on a little bit. But going back to that Brave series, my thought on even, even losing that series and having that series loss is it's sort of a litmus test series. You want to see where you stand, not just against the defending world champions, but in the pantheon of what it means to be a playoff team, right? The Giants are still fighting in that second wild card spot right now. You want to see how you stack up because you're going to see a lot of these poor 
four teams, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the Tigers right now. A nice test again this weekend as the Chicago White Sox come to town. They've got playoff and World Series aspirations themselves. So when you take on a team like the Braves with the great pitching staff they have, with the really, really tough right-handed lineup they have, even losing Freddie Freeman and replacing him with Matt Olson, it's like they took Freddie Freeman and just got a younger version of him, a guy who's a gold glover from the American League, of course, uh, across the bay with the Oakland A's. 40 home run potential, draws a lot of walks. He's a dangerous, dangerous at bat, and we saw that uh, last week in Atlanta. So as much as it's tough and, and pains me to see the Giants lose that series after a, a really nice start, even in game one, Logan Webb and Max Freed, that was a lot of fun. That game, they lost 2-1. to one. It was really a, a pitcher's duel. It was a fun game to watch, except that the Giants didn't win. What I take away from that is they lose a game 2-1, to one, they win a game 12-10, to 10, they lose a game 4-3, to three, and they lose a game 7-6. to six. You lose games like that to really good teams, it means those are razor-thin margins. It's one play, one moment, one at bat. It's not that the Giants weren't getting guys on base. They just struggled a couple of those times in, in wiping out or extinguishing runners on base for the Atlanta Braves. So the bullpen has been taxed a little bit, and that's going to come back to the starting rotation. And as we get about a month away from trade deadline time, maybe that's a place the Giants go to look to add a little bit more depth. Now, something to pay attention to. Jacob Junis, who was brilliant in that month as a starter, and even when he wasn't a starter, his first two outings of the season where he'd gone five innings in relief, really, after they went with an opener of Sam Long, he was awesome in those games, too. Five strikeouts in each of those performances. And then for the better part of a month, he was the saving grace for the Giants. Logan Webb didn't have a great month in May. Carlos Rodon certainly struggled in May after really making a splash when he first got here in April, and he's back on the right track in June. Again, we'll get to him in just a second. But Jacob Junis really helped keep the Giants afloat. It felt like every time he took the ball the Giants were going to have an opportunity to win well he went on the injured list with that grade two hamstring strain but the report at least on Tuesday was that he was going to throw a bullpen he was starting to work his way back so Jacob Judas could be a little bit closer to entering the rotation or re-entering the rotation if and when he becomes available also Lamont Wade Jr. getting ready to come back they've heated up uh, Luis Gonzalez so they're going to this weekend with some baseball related activities which is a positive development for him as well so the Giants getting more healthy but things to pay attention to you want to start to take some of the pressure off of those relievers they were so good last year but so was the starting rotation you look at Disclafani back in 2021 10 and 3 uh with an era uh just over three around the all-star break he was fantastic kevin gossman an all-star logan webb emerges right at the all-star break to become one of the top starters in the national league so they had depth in the rotation last year alex wood was a little bit sharper last year so that's what they're looking for again take some of the pressure off of the bullpen and if maybe jacob junis comes back maybe you sprinkle in another starter somewhere maybe you get a little bit more sean jelly who's down in Sacramento right now. Maybe that helps the Giants sort of sustain where they are and maybe jump a spot. I'd like to jump the Padres, to be honest with you. I don't need to be I don't need to be falling behind the Padres in the National League West. They don't even have Fernando Tatis Jr. and they're holding on to a playoff spot right now. So all stuff to pay attention to. I said we were going to talk some Carlos Rodon, and I really, really am excited to do so because I don't know what it's going to take to a National League Pitcher of the Month. I haven't looked at, at what the numbers are around the league for other starters in June, but some of the good starters in baseball are, are injured right now. Jacob deGrom for the Mets trying to work his way back. Max Scherzer should be coming back off the IL in the next week to 10 days or so. So some of the top starters in all of baseball uh, have gone down, and, and this is an opportunity for Carlos Rodon, Logan Webb, guys like that to sort of seize the stage as one of the frontline starters in the National League. Back in April, Carlos Rodon was fantastic. 3-0 with a 1.17 ERA in four games started through 23 innings, allowed just three earned runs all month. By the way, 38 strikeouts to just 11 hits and eight walks allowed. His whip was under one, a .8 whip, which is elite, right? I mean, you do that over the course of a season, you're probably the Cyang Award winner for your league. And then he really struggled in the month of May. He lost a little bit of velocity. He lost the stuff. He lost the command, lost a little bit of the, the, uh, the movement on his pitches. And when you do 
that. You throw a little bit of a flat slider. He had dipped a little bit of in five starts of five, six, seven. Well, the month of June, he is absolutely back to what we saw in May. And the guy we saw finishing the top 10 or top five even in Cy Young voting in the American League last year. Carlos Rodon in the month of June after that Tuesday night brilliant start that he actually had to leave early because of a, a fingernail split. I heard Mike Kruko talking about it the next day on KNBR saying uh, the, the issue with a finger split is you get a little bit of pain in a finger like that or with a fingernail split and then you start to work around it and then it changes how you grip a baseball and then maybe it leads to a little bit of a bigger injury with an arm or an elbow or a shoulder because you're trying to take pressure off of just that little pain. That's how fine-tuned pitchers are. He, he likes to think of it, Mike Kruko does, as cracking a whip with your arm and if you think that the last thing to let go of that baseball, the last thing to touch a baseball is the tip of that finger. If you've got an injury there, you got to be really careful with it. So the Giants took precaution and ultimately Camilo Doval got that big double play in the ninth inning, a four-out save, the first of his big league career, and the Giants come away with that 4-3 win over the Tigers. Anyway, in the month of June for Rodon, 3-0 and in six starts with a 1.25 ERA, 36 innings pitched, 41 strikeouts in 36 innings. He's given up 24 hits and just five earned runs all season. And again, a whip under one, a .88 whip, which again is elite in all of baseball. So this is what you want to see. A couple of weeks away from when the All-Star break is coming and guys are going to get a little bit of a breather. I know Logan Webb joked earlier this week, yeah, it'd be nice to make the All-Star team, but I'd also like a couple of days up in Lake Tahoe. That sounds good too. If these guys aren't going to make the All-Star team, it's a great opportunity to get them some rest because the back end of the season is going to be a tough one. Going to see the Dodgers a bunch gonna see the Padres a bunch Padres are going to get more healthy with Fernando Tatis Jr. and you just never know what happens around trade deadline time and how teams boost their roster or vault themselves into the next level of being a World Series contender so all stuff to pay attention to in the next couple of weeks but right now the Giants for as frustrating as that last about week or so was with, with a few of those losses on the road they're in not a bad position right now. Third place in the National League West, and they're not, not like the Dodgers are running away with the Dodgers and Padres actually lost on Tuesday night. Misery loves company, and you love to see both of those teams go down at the same time while the Giants get a win and gain a little bit of ground in the West. One more thought on the Detroit Tigers coming back to town. What's, what's so crazy is you don't ever think about, or at least I hardly ever do, interleague play, you get different teams each and every year. That 2020 season really kind of threw the interleague play for a loop, right? Because if you recall... Teams in the West only played teams in the West. Teams in the Central only played teams in the Central. So the Giants still did get the A's. They did get the Angels. They did get a couple of teams on the West Coast. But they stopped doing cross-country travel. They wanted to sort of limit what was going on with the COVID-19 pandemic, right? So that sort of put a hitch into when the last time was you could have seen the Tigers. Giants have not played the Tigers since 2017. And the Tigers have not been to Oracle Park since 2012 when the Giants played them in that World Series. Pablo Sandoval, three home runs. You know, Justin Verlander's out there. Giants still have got Tim Lincecum and Matt Cain and all, all the greats of that, uh, that golden era of Giants baseball. What I think is the most fascinating thing and the most fun thing about interleague play is, and it's why baseball invented it. You get to see players you wouldn't normally see if you were just going to the ballpark as a season ticket holder or as a casual fan each and every time out. You're just, you know, frequently if you're a Giants fan, you get a good taste of the Colorado Rockies. You know their roster. You know the Padres a little bit. You know the Dodgers, certainly, because you love to hate the Dodgers. And you know the Diamondbacks and those guys because they're here so many times. They make three trips out to Oracle Park every year. Well, with teams like the Tigers, who you never get to see, it's a great opportunity. And I, it, it sort of stinks that it's just a two-game series this week, uh, that it was just a two-game series. It's great the White Sox are coming for three because you're going to get a taste of a bunch of players you haven't got an opportunity to see up close and personal. But for the Tigers, the bummer in just getting two games is this may be the last time anybody has an opportunity to pay respect and to go out and see a guy like Miguel Cabrera. I will also add Miguel Cabrera, one of the all-time great right-handed hitters. I, 
in my lifetime of guys who I've seen as right-handed hitters, the best ones, and I know Mike Trout's the best in the game now, and Aaron Judge is fantastic. Jordan Alvarez, I think he's a lefty bat, though. He's having a phenomenal season. Anyway, guys like that, yeah, we see them in today's game. The ones that come to mind for me, Manny Ramirez did not have a two-pitch hole. Manny Ramirez, a brilliant right-handed hitter, tons of power, could take the ball the other way. Albert Pujols, same thing. In his prime, the most dangerous hitter baseball had seen in, in maybe a generation or since Barry Bonds, right? I know he played alongside Bonds or against Bonds, but as far as right-handed bats go, he was absolutely terrifying. And then there's Miguel Cabrera. He fits right on that list with those other two guys. And this guy, if you recall, this guy was playing against the Giants back in the Division Series back in 2003. He's still here in 2022. He won a Triple Crown, of course, back in 2012. Uh, this guy has, has had a, a fantastic career. And so the one thing that I will say, and you're not going to ever get me to be a fan of the DH in the National League, I just thought we were great having two different styles of baseball. I thought the DH was great for the AL and let the pitchers hit in the NL. That's a debate. For a different day but my one take here on on the designated hitter being in the national league it's really cool to have an opportunity to see miguel cabrera get to play because if there was no dh they might have just given him a couple days off maybe he would have pinch hit or something like that but when he comes to town as a big hitter and it's the last time really i mean unless he plays six more years and i don't think anybody's expecting that this may be the last time giants fans have an opportunity to see one of the all-time great hitters of a generation and a uh uh, one of the great guys in baseball. So really cool. Over 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. Everybody who was out there this week, I know, uh, showed a little respect to Miguel Cabrera. Didn't really like him driving in runs against the Giants on Tuesday night, but it was nice to tip your cap. It, it sort of brings me back to a couple of years ago when the Angels were here. It was a, sort of a bummer. It was before the DH was in the National League. Not that that was a bummer, but that Shohei Otani couldn't play in the series because he wasn't scheduled to pitch, and they weren't going to just put him out in, in right field. That was back before uh, they sort of took the bubble wrap off of Otani. Anyway, when the Angels were here, I remember uh, Nick Tropiano was on the mound. Giants were up like 7 nothing or 7-1. And Nick Tropiano went to a, a 3-0 count. And Giants fans began to boo. They were upset. They thought, Shohei Otani's pinch hitting. Allow him to hit a home run. It's our one opportunity to see him hit one. A 7-1 ball game in the ninth inning. It would have been cool to see Otani launch one uh, out into the bleachers or out into center field. But uh, that's what I'm talking about with the DH. It's cool to get an opportunity to see some of these players you haven't seen before. So take advantage of it. You get Tony LaRussa coming to town this weekend. First time Giants have seen LaRussa in a long time, right? 2012, I think. Last time he may have come to Oracle park as a manager would have been 2012 and uh, we all know how that postseason ended for the st louis cardinals and maybe you'll hear a little bit of that in our conversation with giants photographer andy kuno who's going to join us next a really fun conversation a walk down memory lane of some of the great moments and that's what's so great about the giants they've got such a rich history but so many of the great moments have happened right here in our ballpark and andy kuno was there for so many of them here's a great conversation with giants photographer andy kuno this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast for the first time Andy Kuno. He is the team photographer for the San Francisco Giants. He's been with the organization since 1996. And I know it's not quite Larry Bear. It's not quite Mario Aliotto. But you, you got to be pretty high on that list, Andy, for guys who have been with the organization for that long, man. How are you? Thanks for the time today. Uh, I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I think I'm one of the 
handful of candlestick people at the ballpark, so I, I take great pride in that. Okay, so let me ask you this. 1996, your first season. So in 2002, when the Giants made it to the World Series, it was the first time I ever got a chance to go to a World Series game. I went to Game 3 with my uncle, who's a lifelong Giants fan, and his best friend, uh, Tim, who used to be a, the head coach over at, uh, at Berkeley High, head baseball coach over there and a teacher for a long time. And that was the one game, if you remember, in 2002 that the Giants lost at home. So as we're leaving the ballpark, my, my uncle's best friend looks at me and goes, is this your first World Series game? And I said, yeah, it was. I was like 13 years old. And he said, well, this loss is your fault then. You'd never seen one. This one's on you. So let me ask you, 1996, your first season, not the best year for the Giants. Was anybody blaming you after the year, man? No, actually, you know, I, I would kind of categorize like 96, 97, my intern years there. Because okay. uh, at the time, Martha Jane Stanton, the team photographer then, uh, she brought me in as a business partner. We basically split her contract uh, for a couple of years going into me, the nine, 2000 season. And then from there, we got uh, paid separately by the Giants. So, yep, just to make it kind of nerdy, yeah, we were 1099s for a while until we became W2s. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. That's that's the uh, the transition we all want to make. Jump from the 1099 to the W2. You want to get employed by the organization and then uh, maybe walk out with a couple of World Series rings. So let me ask you, your, your first experience, you're at Candlestick Park, you're dealing with the wind, you're taking photos. What do you remember about first coming over and, and getting this gig with the Giants? Uh, well, even before the Giants, I was already freelancing before that after college, and uh, I was stringing for wire services, United Press International, uh, Associated Press, and uh, yeah, I was always at Candlestick, either shooting a baseball game or a football game, so, uh, you know, beginning of the 96th season, it was nothing new to me, and uh, yeah, it's de definitely windy, uh, if anyone remembers that, but... <laughs> Yeah, definitely windy, cold in your face. A couple of crowd of candlesticks maybe for you being out there for the uh, the extra inning games. Uh, so you, this is this is a family thing for you. Uh, our producer Kelsey was letting me know and telling me that your family ran a black and white lab and you processed 49ers and A's and Giants stuff since the 70s. I mean, that had to be cool. I know the Niners weren't a, a magnificent team back then. The A's obviously had their three world championships, but this is something that was uh, kind of close to your family and close to the family business, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, the three sports teams, franchises were just, one of many clients that my parents had to deal with. So, I mean, sports being fun, you know, um, my dad took great interest in that and he befriended their photographers and he would bring me, or he, I mean, back then, back in the seventies and eighties, you know, getting your kid on the field was rather easy. I'd rather not say that now, but <laughs> um, I mean, things are a lot more different with barcodes and whatnot, but back then it was just a phone call. You got a paper pass and you're down there. So, so my dad would help out when their photographers needed an extra hand. And uh, I don't know if, if you ever listened to Crook and Kite talking about the team photo back in the day. My dad would be, like, the guy hurting everyone, and he would use this whistle, and uh, he became known for that. So did your dad have any stories, or has he ever let you know who the, who the toughest guy was to wrangle? I imagine Crook and Kype, uh they're guys who poke fun at everybody and, and have a good time. But uh, in terms of gathering everybody, it's like herding cats trying to get these photos done, right? Yeah, and that's why my dad brought the whistle to get everyone's attention. And, uh, sure, sure, you know, af after a few years, the players got smart, and they brought their own whistles to, like, mess with my dad. Um, that was kind of funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, one of my fond memories, I won't call it fond, but memorable team photo experiences as a kid, being a witness to it, was when uh, Dusty, Baker, Dusty Baker got in a fight with the team photographer, Dennis DePauw. Um So they had to cancel it. 
and they had to postpone it. Um, but that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. We don't have to get into the details. I know, in general, Dusty, a, a pretty well-liked guy. So what's cool about your gig, man, is you're, like, in the weeds with this stuff. You're around. I mean, we have so many great memories from the time Oracle Park opened. But let's go back a little bit further. Let's go back to Candlestick. So you're working with the team. I'm thinking 1999, some of, you know, you get the, the Giants better than anybody do the uh, the big celebrations, right? They keep the legends close. They keep the Hall of Famers tied to the team. I was out there uh, that final series at Candlestick Park against the Dodgers in 99. You remember they pull up the uh, the home plate and they flew it over to Oracle Park and dropped it in at Oracle Park. Uh, any cool moments for you at the end of the Candlestick era? I mean, I imagine photographers, much like media, you're you're the visual media, obviously, and the digital media now. You're kind of the keeper of the archive of some of that stuff that is the history of the team. Is that sort of how you embrace those moments? Yeah, I definitely look at myself as a historian. Um, maybe that's too fancy of a word, but I'm definitely documenting everything and I, the way the way I think about it is, someone that's going to go through the archives 100 years from now will see my name next to this, like, oh, this guy did this, and he captured a nice moment. So I mean, that's the way I, I kind of approach it. Um, but looking back at that last day game at Candlestick Park, I remember just kind of pausing when they announced Bobby Bonds and when he got to his position, and that kind of tugged at my heart a lot because of the warm embrace that he got. I don't know if you remember that. But. Yeah, I, I mean, are there are there players then? Because you know, you're talking about the ovation and Giants fans. We love our legends, and obviously, the Bonds family carries a lot of weight. But you being a guy, I mean, you grew up in the Bay Area, didn't you? Uh, born and raised in San Francisco. Yeah, so so there must have been guys like a Bobby Bonds who, you, I mean, that was emotional for you, not just because of the moment, but because you grew up. This guy was here. He was he was, I'm sure, one of your guys, right? Um, he was more my dad's guy. Yeah, but you know, truth be told, growing up, all I wanted to do was ride a skateboard or a snowboard, <laughs> and uh, being a photographer, let alone covering a sports team, just wasn't on my radar. But I mean, I kind of grew into it. I mean, just the fun of making a nice picture just made me appreciate what I did a lot more, and the fact that I was capturing a baseball team was just the chair on top. So, so what's your approach in a moment like that where the Giants are exiting a, a historic ballpark, a place that they called home, you know, after Seal Stadium from the time that they moved here in 1958, you're aware going in, and, and this is something I want to get into with you with some of the other great moments we've had over the last 23 seasons now at, uh, at Oracle Park is sometimes history happens and you're not aware that it's history, but you know this was history that they were leaving this ballpark. What's your goal? What's your strategy? What is it in being the historian? I don't think you're overstating at all in, in using the term historian. What is it you're looking at and, and trying to capture to fulfill that sort of memory or that historic moment for the Giants? Basically, you know, if you could just capture in one photo, a, a storytelling photo, I mean, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. um, but it being the last game, you're just shooting many things. Um, but I, it was Willie Mays up throughout the last pitch, right? So right. I, I just remember being rather nervous of not screwing that up. Um, you think Willie was nervous about not uh, not screwing up the pitch, too? <laughs> well, Willie being Willie, you know, you just never know what he's going to do. Uh, but... Um. Yeah, he's a, he's a character, and uh, it's so great that we still get to have him uh, around the ballpark as frequently uh, as we do. Celebrating uh, 91 this year, that was so cool that uh, that Willie is still so close. So then you transition into Oracle Park, and, and you see some of those great shots. Is there a shot that's like your marquee one that you think about from opening day 2000? Is it the one up from behind the ballpark, like home plate sort of, where you see the, the whole field and you see the water almost on the club level or the, the third deck looking out? Do you have a marquee shot that you remember that you took from that opening at, at Oracle Park? 
It might have been like the lineups with and the flyover. Yeah. I think I shot it from second base shooting into the stadium with a wide angle lens, if I remember that correctly. Um, but that's the only that's the one image that pop, uh, pops in my head right now. And those are images that, you know, that's something I've seen since I was a kid. You know, I know exactly the shot you're talking about from second base okay. and everybody's sort of looking out towards center field and oftentimes uh, you get the overhead shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a great look, man. Uh, okay, so you, you transition a little further, and now shortly thereafter, 2001, I mean, Barry Bonds has the season of seasons. You don't know in that moment that he's going to catch uh, Mark McGuire or ultimately that he's going to have 762 career home runs. But the thing that comes to mind for me, and there's a photography angle to the Barry Bonds thing, because and maybe you can speak to this, I think anybody who went to as many Giants games uh, as I did uh, year after year who had watched the Barry Bonds home run chases you remember number one is when the pitches would come in, the flash bulbs, or the fly, I say bulbs, but the flashes from yeah. phones and digital cameras. It always cracked me up as though somebody's little digital camera up in uh, up in 320 was, uh, you know, the flash was going to capture the, the look of Barry Bonds yeah. better than the lights at the stadium. But you were on those, man. So, so talk to us about what you go through, what you're looking for when a pitch is coming in, and, and what you remember about those moments and capturing the magnitude of the Barry Bonds home run chases. Yeah, just trying to find different angles and setting up remotes, just trying to get as many pitchers as possible for that pretty much one swing per game or a series, whatever, you know, whatever Barry got. But, uh, yeah, and trying to incorporate the light bulbs is, you know, you have to shoot that wide with a slow shutter speed. But, you know, you really can't do that with your main camera. So, you got you know, you have all these calculations in your head and you kind of hope everything falls through properly. And I mean, he did for you and for Barry Bonds. We have all those uh, those great shots. Uh, you so you were out there that Friday night when he when he tied and then passed. Uh, well, I guess just hit the two home runs off of Chan Ho Park. You got both of those. Uh, for the last game. For that. For, for well, I'm saying for the one for Bonds when he uh, the Friday night oh, in 2000 moment he broke the record. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody won it, and then then he 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 had two in that game, right? He did. Yeah. First inning, and then yeah. I think maybe later in the third or the fourth. Yeah, I just remember chuckling. Like, I don't think they had a banner ready for seventy-two to come unfurl, but, um, but, and then who did, was it? Springer on the last day that he hit home run. That's right on the on the Sunday. Good knowledge, yeah. So here's the set now, and Springer deals the pitch, a knuckleball, and Bonds hits a high fly ball to right. Green is back, and he has hit one more. Bonds did it again to the very back of the arcade. His seventy-third and counting. And Bonds is trying not to break a smile as he rounds the bases. Better than anyone, he understands how amazing this is. So with uh, with the Bonds home runs, then, I mean, you're obviously following these, and it's different when you get to a milestone because you know the guy uh, is about to do it. Were you following him around? Were you traveling with the team or, or trying to be there in San Diego for some of those big moments? Yeah. Uh, I traveled with the team. I switched off with Martha, Dan- uh, Martha Jane Stanton um, based on the road trips. But, yeah, we, we just did our best to capture – Every swing. Is there an anxiety to that because you know you need those moments? Uh, I think the only anxiety I ever had was like not waking up and being late to the, you know, being late <laughs> going to the ballpark. But, you know, something like, you know, it's just weird. Just, I mean, I do have to capture the entire team, but just to focus on one guy day in and day out, it does become taxing. So you, you have to be creative. You have to, you've got to find something creative and, um, it did help, like, going on the road every so often just to have a change of scenery and just try to refigure things out again. 
you have a favorite ballpark to photograph when you're on the road? Uh, it's probably Wrigley. What, what, what about Wrigley? Just the history or the uh, the Ivy, all that stuff? Uh, yeah, definitely the history. Um, well, Fenway comes into mind, too. But I've only been there twice. But uh, Wrigley, I've been to, even before the renovations, how old and historic it was. And just looking at the old tunnel leading to the dugout, um, stuff like that excites me, that type of history. Yeah, that stuff's like, really it's cool. All, it's all modernized now, so um, I, I'm glad I got to experience that. Well, you then, you got to go, and I remember I did this years ago, back in 2006. Uh, so you went to old Yankee Stadium. I mean, you were there when Bonds hit that home run off of Ted Lilly, right? Were you out there? I was not on that road. Oh, you missed that one. So that one's cool, too, because uh, at old Yankee Stadium, I, I took this tour there, uh, like I said, in 2006, where, you know, the Yankee Stadium, like Wrigley, had all those renovations. And I remember we took the tour mm-hmm. with a tour guide, and he was an old New York-style guy. And he walks you past a clubhouse, and he's going to walk you into the Yankee dugout from the clubhouse hallway. And he says, you know, of wow. all the renovations that they've done at this ballpark, they never changed this one cement hallway. So it's the same hallway that guys like Ruth and Garrig oh, and Maris and Mantle. So when you're walking down to the dugout, it's cool. Everybody's touching the wall. And then, Andy, now it's gone. Then they tore it down. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Right. Hopefully they preserve that wall somewhere, I mean, with all that history. Um, that, that would be like take, taking down the green monster at Fenway. You just can't do that. You can't, exactly. You just can't do that. So uh, let's get into some of the other moments. So there's, there's historical moments that happen throughout the course of a game, right? Things start to develop. I think about, like, Pablo Sandoval's three-homer game, and you're getting reactions, and you're looking at his face as he's rounding third base. Or if you're in the middle of a game and a no-hitter starts to happen, like you're out there taking pictures of the game anyway, and, and you're trying to capture what the game's moment may be or, or what may happen in the game or a great play, something like that. Is there a moment... In any of the perfect or, or no hitters, uh, any of those games, the Jonathan Sanchez, uh, Chris Heston, Matt Kane, Tim Lincecum, any of those where it stuck out in your mind like, oh boy, I, I've got to start capturing certain stuff. Is there a guy or a moment that comes to mind when you think about those? Well, the only no hitter I've ever captured was Timmy's second one. Mm-hmm. I was not a Kane's perfect game. Well, actually, I was technically there earlier in the day, but I wasn't assigned the game. Um, Chris Heston, that was on the road trip, which I was not on. Uh, Jonathan's answers, I was not scheduled to shoot that game. So the only no-hitter to my belt would be Timmy's. Uh, Giants no-hitter, that is. Um, but, yeah, definitely it goes in your mind, like, I need a photo that would tell the story as best as possible. I mean, ideally you would like to be behind the backstop, getting the picture with the scoreboard, but um, we had someone else there. Um, but just making sure I got his reaction at the end of the game, uh yeah, just making sure I wouldn't screw up. I remember that day I was wearing shorts without a belt, and my big fear was running out onto the field with my shorts falling off, but that did not happen. <laughs> then, then Andy, we'd have pictures of you. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be yeah. all too much. <laughs> That's good. You it's got like, it done. One day I didn't bring a belt. Like, you know, it's like of all days. Two down of the night. The one-two pitch. Curveball grounded a second. Panic's got it. The throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Tim Lincecum, who is mobbed by his overjoyed Giants teammates, has pitched his second no-hitter and in the second consecutive year. He pitched one against these Padres last July, and not quite one year later, he does it again, this time here at home. 
Uh, I believe Tim Lensinger made his debut, his major league debut. I was at that one, too. It was a Sunday night baseball game against the Phillies. It was sometime in early May, May 5th or 6th, something like that, in 2007. And that was one of those days where the moment felt huge. Like, you showed up to the park. We knew this kid was coming. Do you remember the first time you got to photograph Tim Lincecum and what comes to mind? Because I imagine, especially later in his career, when the hair is flowing, the big, long stretch for him, there's got to be guys that are more fun to take photos of. Yeah, my first interaction was with him was during that spring training. And when he came in for his portrait, I was thinking, we don't need a picture of the bat boy. And I have never seen him before. I've only seen his name. And I realized when he mentioned his name, like, oh, you're you're Timmy. Because um, he, he's not your prototypical prototypical build in, in terms of a pitcher. He wasn't six foot four. You know, he wasn't big and imposing, but he was just, you know, an everyday Joe. And, uh, but yeah, it's just him coming in with a, his boyish look early on, and slowly morphing into the Timmy that we know with long hair, long flowing hair. Um, that was pretty cool to see his evolution. Well, the other ones, the, the, you know, I'm just thinking now through my head, and I'm just running through some photos here on my computers. I'm thinking of great Giants moments in history, and I'm going, oh, boy, I bet Andy shot a lot of these, right? Big ones at the ballpark. I'm sure you were on a whole bunch of these. How about when you're getting a shot of a guy like Madison Bumgarner, up close and personal? Because we all know that look on his face where he's kind of furling his lip and he's snarling as he's throwing the pitch, and he's got the big, long windup with his arm dropping behind him. I imagine the Bumgarner ones had to be a blast to capture also. Oh, definitely. Uh, my first interaction with him – and Buster and Crawford actually was 2009 when they were the single A, when they were with the single A Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a three day assignment taking a road trip with them to Stockton. So um, being on the bus with them in the dugout, in the locker room, following them to their hotel rooms, um, getting breakfast. Um, yeah, those are the memories I have of those three. But yeah, once they got caught up, you know, it was just kind of like riding a bike again. Like, hey, they kind of remembered me yeah. and just shooting them was it's been a joy yeah Bumgarner's a cool one man he's, he's he's photogenic it's like watching somebody ride a horse like uh, the way he moves I always imagine like if a horse could pitch that's how Madison Bumgarner would throw yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> big long arms stretching out uh is there is there a moment in the in the world like I'm wondering about some of these other moments like the other iconic one is the uh Pablo Sandoval makes that catch at third base in 2014 were, were you on that trip were you there for game seven and were you, were you the one who captured the great Pablo Sandoval catch and Bumgarner walking towards Buster Posey uh I had the reverse angle so I did not get his catch I was just I, I did get Buster and Bumgarner embracing is there a moment from that one that stands out? Is there an iconic photo for you that, that you take uh, that, that you take pride in that, that's maybe your favorite? It's really hard to pinpoint anything in the postseason only because there's so much chaos going on. Mm-hmm. I probably remember something more from a Tuesday night game than a postseason game, honestly. Um, but, yeah, just running through my head, I can't think of anything from the postseason, postseason that jumps out. I'll throw you. I'll, I'll throw you one. How about I throw you this one? How about Marco Scudero in the rain? Does that one stand out? Well, everyone asked for that photo, but it's a video moment <laughs> actually because the camera they were using shoots two thousand frames a second, and no camera, still camera at the time, or even now, can capture that type of speed. I guess you're right. It's like, I'm thinking of him. It is a video. It's like a slow motion video of the rain falling. Okay, let, let's go with another one. Travis Ishikawa's home run. Where were you on that one? I was. Outside first, and I was thinking, should I shoot this tight with a 400 lens? But I, I, I reconsidered, and I 
brought up the 7200. I just shot it looser thinking, well, if he does something dramatic, I'll get it nice and loose with the fans in the background. And sure enough, he hits that three-run bomb. And uh, just him running up the first baseline, he looks like he's floating on air. Now the stretch. Here it comes. Swing, and there's a drive deep into right field. Way back there. Goodbye! A home run for the game and for the pennant. The Giants have won the pennant, and Travis Ishikawa is being clobbered by his teammates as he comes down the third base line, and he is mobbed at home plate. That's a great one. He's, like, leaping into the air as he rounds first base. Did, did you get any shots of Jake Peavy running out there on the field trying to get him between second and third? <laughs> uh, no. I. It's just complete chaos. I mean, I remember running out, waiting for Ishikawa at home plate, but uh, it, it's complete pandemonium. Um Kind of like when Joe Panic hit the was it, was it a home run in Game Four that he hit against the Cubs hey, it, against it? the Cardinals? You mean or against the Cubs? Against the Cubs. Against the Cubs. Uh, did he have a home run in that game? Because I know you have the uh, the triple, obviously from uh, that might have been the day before from uh, uh, Gillespie. Yeah, Gillespie. Yeah, that, that was against the Mets. That was against uh, you, right? And then he had the big. Didn't he have a big hit against the Cubs and Araldis Chapman? I thought Gillespie had one there too. I just remember at, being at home. Panic did hit. I think it was a double. But, yeah, just getting him and Brandon Belt running off the field, smiling, that's, like, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it might have been a double because he walked one off against the Cubs. Uh, they went extras. You're right. Uh, Joe Panic did in that uh, that fun series. Well, it ultimately was not a fun series, but uh, at the time, we still thought the Giants had a chance and going even year. Yeah, definitely we had the chance. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let me ask you this one because it's my favorite. I think it's my favorite moment because it's, like I said, 2002, first time I ever got to go to a World Series game as a kid, and I was born in 89, so I don't remember the 89 World Series. So this is the first memory I had of the Giants doing something special and right in the heart of my Giants fandom as a kid in 2002. The most iconic shot I felt like for a long time at Oracle Park is David Bell sliding across home plate. I know that was fairly early in the Oracle Park days after the Kenny Lofton base hit that sends the Giants to the World Series. Do you have a memory of that moment? Because there's the great shot, by the way, of Kenny Lofton running up the first baseline, and there's the great shot of David Bell sliding across home plate, and I think it's Rich Aurelia standing there waiting to give him a hug. Do you have a memory of that night? Yeah, I do. I think it was at third base. I don't think I have a shot of either player that you mentioned, uh, whether it's Kenny or David Bell uh, playing in the home plate, but I do recall running onto the field and getting like a picture of Kenny Lofton, like get, getting hoisted briefly. But um, yeah, that that was another crazy moment. Bell, the possible winning run at second base. Here's the pitch. Lofton swings, line drive, base hit right field. Here comes Bell, rounding third, heading home. Here comes the throw, and it's outside. Oh, good. And the Giants have won the pennant. The Giants are the champions of the National League, and they come pouring out of the dugout. Kenny Lofton, the man they love to hate in St. Louis, knocks in the winning run and knocks a stake through the heart of the Cardinals. The Cardinals are dead. The Giants are going to the World Series. Yeah, the walk-offs are always wild. It's just pandemonium. That's why you guys do such a great job capturing these real moment live shots while you're trying to stay organized and, and keep stuff set. So, hey, before we let you go, Andy, I want to ask you, because you've seen so many games, how many games a year do you think you're at the ballpark, or how many of the 162 in general do you take photos at or are you covering for the Giants? For the home games, oh, geez, there's 80. Probably about 40 to 50 around there. Okay. I'm just guessing. 
So, you, so you're doing you're doing about a hundred. How many on the road? Is it is it about the same? Are you doing about a hundred games a year? Road trips, maybe two road trips a year. But since the pandemic, uh, we haven't been on the road. Right. So it's got a little bit different. So on average, though, you're doing a whole bunch of games. I mean, season ticket holders aren't going sometimes to as many games as you're covering. Yeah. So in the last, I mean, going back to '96. Do you have a moment that is your because because me and my buddy have done this for years where we call them fan accolades. It's like a merit badge. Like you go and you see a cycle and you go, oh cool, I've seen a cycle. And you say, oh, I've seen a a no hitter, a perfect game. I was there when when Bonds broke the record. My buddy and I always argue over who has the best fan accolades. How many moments have you seen? Now you're in the ballpark for so many of these. Do you have a night or a game or a moment that whether it was a a, a picture you took or just because you you felt the vibe and the experience and the pandemonium? Is there a fan accolade or a moment that you were there for a historic moment that you really were excited you were there to cover? It would probably have to be Bochy's last game. Why that? Why Bochy's last game? Because of the Hall of Fame and all that, the magnitude of it? It was, the, you, know, the, you know, like you said, the Giants like to do, and they do the best ceremonies ever. Um, just the way all his former, Bochy's former players were coming out, and, you know, the moment Timmy came out at the end, just, I got teary-eyed. I mean, I shouldn't be, but um, that moment to me stands out a lot just because of what Tony means to the organization and what he meant to Bochi and um, that, that, yeah, kind of getting choked up again. But. Yeah, I, I feel you, man. We were all that way. I mean, Bochi got choked up. I was there. I got choked up. Timmy came out. I mean, for the guy who's kind of a recluse and we just don't see him, to see Tim Lentz come out there, I think he had a little frosted tips going too. His hair was dyed a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I to, to be fair to Vinny Chulk, who came out first, I didn't get quite as misty for <laughs> Vinny as I did for uh, for Tim Lentz. We were building up Benny was helping us build up to that. <laughs> right. Uh, Andy, a lot of fun to catch up with you, man. This is really cool. I mean, you've got a, a great job. It's a lot of fun, uh, I imagine, for you to be out there. You're obviously talented. The uh, The moments you get to be involved with, and I, I don't think you should write yourself off or sell yourself short, man. I, I think you absolutely are the historian of the San Francisco Giants. you got to capture these moments. It's a tough thing to do, and they're the moments we go back and we relive as fans, and you look at a picture that tells a whole story. It's a, it's a beautiful art, man, and you do a great job. I really appreciate the time today. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate the, the, the you know, talking to you. <laughs> we'll catch you later, Andy. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, Adam. Oh, how cool was that? I mean, how many people can you talk to? I mean, that that's the great thing about baseball in general, right? How many people can you talk to who've lived through so many great moments? And you can connect yourself through history. It's why I used to love going to the, the ballpark with my grandfather. We had a, uh, a standing date every day on the last day of the season. My grandfather and I would go to games. And back then, the Giants were always competitive. So frequently on the last day of the season, you were seeing players who were September call-ups. We'd get a look at the future of the team and what may happen before the postseason started. That whole thread of history through baseball where older generations can teach younger generations and you can be at great moments and something can happen in a ball game that you haven't seen before and you can say, oh, that reminds me of a guy getting a hit in this situation or I once saw a rundown that was sort of like that or a wild pitch that makes you think of a play that happened 40 or 50 years ago. It's, it's the great thread through baseball history that you can connect yourself to people from the past through individual moments that have happened in games and and what you've seen and Andy Kuno has been around for so many of them I love getting an opportunity to walk down memory lane for some of these so thanks for uh, hanging out with us today thank you so much to Andy for stopping by can't wait to talk to him a little bit more about some of the history he's seen at the ballpark thank you to Kelsey our producer with the Giants and thank you to you the listener hope you're subscribing to us so you don't miss a single episode of the Inside Giant Moments podcast we'll be back next week 4th of July week with a little bit more San Francisco Giants baseball talk. This has been the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you next week.
Swing and a drive! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside giant moments. It's headed for the bay. The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.